This is Tristalk Minipod for a Monday night, August the 30th, 2021, and I'm your host, Donald Wayne. Minipod, that gap filler between episodes of Tristalk, a mini version, if you will, of our regular show where I limit the subjects as well as the time for the show itself, most of the time. Well, I never run as long as as, uh, as our regular Tristalk shows go. So in that sense, there are always mini pods. But hey, everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of mini pod for a uh, Monday night. I only I've got one article that I want to share with you tonight. And and as it's about something that has been bothering me since I first saw footage about the subject on uh, the NBC interview by Lester Holt with Lieutenant Michael Byrd. If you don't know who that is, let me get into the article and refresh your memory. The article was published in The Hill and was written by Jonathan Turley, who is the Shapiro Professor of Public Interest Law at Georgetown, uh, George, Georgetown, George Washington University. Excuse me. His commentary is titled, Justified shooting or fair game. Shooter of Ashley Babbitt makes shocking admissions. All right, let me uh, calm the uh, background here so the boat people don't start singing in the middle <laughs> like they do when, uh, invariably, I'll let that happen uh, <laughs> when. We're doing Tristalk, and Dennis Lee will say, what is that noise? All right, like I said, this is from The Hill. Jonathan Turley starts out, that's my job. Those three words summed up a controversial interview this week with the long, unnamed officer who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt on January the 6th. Shortly after being cleared by the Capitol Police in the shooting, Lieutenant Michael Byrd went public in an NBC interview, insisting that he saved countless lives by shooting the unarmed protester. I have long expressed doubt over the Babbitt shooting, which directly contradicted standards on the use of lethal force by law enforcement. But what was... 
breathtaking about Byrd's interview was that he confirmed the worst suspicions about the shooting and raised serious questions over the incident reviews by the Department of Justice, or we'll refer to as the DOJ, and most recently, the Capitol Police. Babbitt, 35, was an Air Force veteran and ardent supporter of former President college results and stormed into the Capitol when security lines collapsed. She had no criminal record, but clearly engaged in criminal conduct that day by entering Capitol and disobeying police commands. The question, however, has been why this unarmed trespasser deserved to die. When protesters rushed the House chamber, police barricaded the chamber's doors. Capitol Police were on both sides, with officers standing directly behind Babbitt. Babbitt and others began to force a way through, and when Babbitt started to climb through a broken window, which is a portion of the door, that is when Bird killed her. He killed her. At the time, some of us familiar with the rules governing police use of force raised concerns over the shooting. Those concerns were heightened by the DOJ's bizarre review and report, which stated the governing standards, but then seemed to brush them aside to clear bird. The DOJ report did not read like any post-shooting review I've read as a criminal defense attorney or law professor. The DOJ statement notably does not say the shooting was clearly justified. Instead, it stressed that prosecutors would have to prove not only that the officer used force that was constitutionally unreasonable, but that the officer did so willfully. It seemed simply to shrug and say that the DOJ did not believe it could prove a bad purpose to disregard the law and that evidence that an officer acted out of fear, mistake, panic, misperception, negligence, or even poor judgment cannot establish the high level of intent. While the Supreme Court, in cases such as Graham versus Connor, has said that the courts must consider the facts and circumstances of each particular case, it has emphasized that lethal force must be used only against someone who is an immediate threat to the safety of the officers or others and is actively resisting arrest or attempting to evade arrest by flight, particularly with armed assailants. The standard governing imminent harm recognizes that these decisions must often be made in the most chaotic and brief encounters. Under these standards, police officers should not shoot unarmed suspects or rioters without a clear threat to themselves or fellow officers. That even applies to armed suspects who fail to obey orders. Indeed, Huntsville police officer William Ben Darby recently was convicted for killing a suicidal man holding a gun to his own head. Despite being cleared by a police review board, Darby was prosecuted, found guilty, and sentenced to 25 years in prison, 
even though Darby said he feared for the safety of himself and fellow officers. Yet law professors and experts who have praised such prosecutions in the past have been conspicuously silent over the shooting of an unarmed woman who had officers in front of and behind her on January the 6th. All right, now I'll break away from the article just for a second. Uh, I mean, they showed that video hundreds of times over a period of a few weeks when Ashley Babbitt was shot, and they showed that group of people trying to, they were banging on the, the glass portions of those doors into the Capitol building. And you could clearly see two officers that appeared to be standing there against somewhat against the wall. Um, I can't say that they focused on them long enough to really tell if they look concerned, but they're, what do you want to say? They're, um, their body language, I guess, if you will, didn't really look to me like they were saying, you know, they're in fear for their life or that they were even too concerned about what was about to transpire when those people broke through the doors. But it seems like those two officers could have tried to, I mean, personally, if I wasn't going to do anything like they appeared to be standing there doing nothing now, they may have been trying to discourage people verbally from doing what they were doing, but they weren't forcibly trying to stop people from doing anything. You'd think that if they stood in front of the doors with guns drawn, they might've been able to made a difference, but that's pure speculation. That's hindsight. But just the fact that there were two, at least two police officers behind Ashley Babbitt that didn't do anything, didn't do anything to stop them that we could see in the video, at least. Back to the article. So Byrd went public soon after the Capitol Police declared no further action will be taken in the case. He proceeded to demolish the two official reviews that cleared him. Byrd described how he was trapped with other officers as the chants got louder, with what sounded like hundreds of people outside that door. He said he yelled for all the protesters to stop. I tried to wait as long as I could. I hoped and prayed no one tried to enter through those doors. But their failure to comply required me to take the appropriate action to save the lives of members of Congress and myself and my fellow officers. So I wonder, I'm backing off the article again, sidebar. Backing off the article again, I'm wondering if those two officers that we could see outside the door with the crowd actually had ways to communicate with other officers. You'd think there would be some kind of communication back and forth, and maybe the officer, you know, who was standing inside could uh, communicate with others. We never saw any uh, in that video that we could see. Of course, we never really actually saw this this guy, the, this police officer that shot Babbitt. But you'd think if there was more than one officer there, 
that instead of standing off to the side out of view that he would have been standing in front of the door trying to tell people not you know 10 12 feet away shouting commands why wouldn't if he's going to have his gun drawn why wouldn't he have stood in front of the door and and warned people to back off well first of all i don't think legally he would have been able to to shoot them if they'd kept on coming unless they started to overrun him. But as somebody made a, a point on one of the shows that I was watching earlier tonight, I think it was on uh, Laura Ingram. It's odd that there were a number of police officers that encountered some protesters that did get roughed up, uh, had some scrapes and bruises and so forth but none of them ever fired upon any of the people in the crowd. It's just this one guy shoots this one unarmed woman who unfortunately was the first person to come through the broken window, I guess, the broken window in the door. And he felt so threatened, even though he wasn't standing in front of the doors, he felt so threatened that he had to shoot and kill her. Back to the article. Bird could just as well have hit the officers behind Babbitt, who was shot while struggling to squeeze through the window. So why wouldn't you walk up closer to the door? I mean, you could, you know, you could have even made an effort to try to push her back through the window rather than let her get partially in or all. I'm not sure how far in she got before he shot her. Uh, that's never really been detailed. And they certainly are not sharing the video with us, which is suspicious in itself. But standing that far away and shouting at people who there's obviously lots of noise on the outside. It's strange. It's very strange. Of all the lines from Bird, this one stands out. I could not fully see her hands or what was in the backpack or what the intentions are. So Bird admitted he did not see a weapon or an immediate threat from Babbitt beyond her trying to enter through the window. Nevertheless, Bird boasted, I know that day I saved countless lives. He ignored that Babbitt was the one person killed during the riot. Of course, two protesters died of natural causes and a third from an amphetamine overdose. One police officer died the next day from natural causes, and four officers have committed suicide since then. No other officers facing similar threats shot anyone in any other part of the Capitol, even those who were attacked by rioters armed with clubs or objects. And I have to back up just a second. Uh, and I kind of kind of forget about this, but of those officers, four of them committed suicide since January the 6th. Doesn't that seem odd? Has anybody ever come out with any 
kind of a, a reasoning why or talked to family and tried to get a, a, a take on why these officers, but was it because of what went on that day and what part of what went on that day caused them to commit suicide? No other officers facing similar threats shot anyone in any other part of the Capitol, even those who were attacked by rioters armed with clubs and other objects. That is important. That is important, folks. The fact, and, and this is the point that was being made on the Laura Ingham show, why is it this one officer shot one unarmed lady squeezing herself through a broken window and, and the doors going into the, uh, I guess it says the chambers, capital chambers. Why is that the only one shot? When other officers certainly encountered more physical harm and threats to themselves than this guy did. But he decided to do it. And let me throw something else out there that, that has been mentioned several times, but I don't think it's mentioned in this article. And it may not really be relevant other than it's a aha thing as far as I'm concerned. This is the very same officer that left a loaded service weapon. I believe it was in a, uh, oh gosh, was it a, oh gosh, was it a spa? Oh, it was a restroom, I believe. At, I believe it was at the Capitol building. But anyway, he left a, his loaded uh, service revolver at, uh, I believe, in a bathroom. It was loaded and the safety was off. And he was not punished for it which is a punishable thing for police officers. But uh, uh, he even bragged, uh, reportedly he even bragged to people that he wouldn't suffer any consequences from it because he was a lieutenant. But I think that's an interesting point, that this is the only guy that shot anybody that day, the only police officer that shot anybody. And this is who he shot. He didn't shoot somebody coming at him with a club or a, a machete or, or some of the other things that people were carrying using as weapons that day. He shot an unarmed woman that he, he admitted could not see any weapons and admitted he didn't know what she had in her backpack. That's just strange. Legal experts and the media have avoided the obvious implications of the two reviews in the Babbitt shooting. Under the standard, hundreds of rioters could have been gunned down on January the 6th, and officers in cities such as Seattle or Portland, Oregon, could have killed hundreds of violent protesters who tried to burn courthouses, took over city halls, or occupied police stations during last summer's widespread rioting. In all of these protests, a, num a small number of activists from both political extremes showed up prepared for violence and pushed others to riot. According to the DOJ's Bird Review, officers in those cities would not have been required to see a weapon in order to use lethal force in defending buildings. Politico reported that Bird previously was sub subjected to a disciplinary review. Oh, here it is. I didn't think it was part of it. <laughs> when he left his Glock 22 service 
weapon in a bathroom in the Capitol Visitor Center complex. He reportedly told other officers that his rank as a lieutenant and his role as commander of the House Chamber section would protect him and that he expected to be treated differently. In the Babbitt shooting, the different treatment seems to be driven more by the identity of the person shot rather than the shooter. Babbitt is considered by many to be fair game because she was labeled an insurrectionist. Which, by the way, the FBI has said officially now, everybody remember this, the FBI has said what happened on January 6th cannot be called insurrection. They would not call it an insurrection. There was not evidence of that. To describe her shooting as unjustified would be to invite accusations of supporting sedition or insurrection. Thus, it is not enough to condemn her actions as most of of us have done. You must not question her killing. Like many, I condemn the January 6th riot along with those who fueled the unhinged anger that led to the violence as the desecration of our capital and our constitutional process. But that does not mean rioting should be treated as a license for the use of lethal force, particularly against unarmed suspects. The job of officers to which Byrd referred often demands a courage and restraint that few of us could muster. As shown by every other officer that day, it is a job that is often defined by abstinence from rather than an application of lethal force. It was the rest of the force who refrained from using lethal force despite being attacked. That were the extraordinary embodiments of the principles governing their profession. This guy is questionable. This guy, how in the world they can call that a justified shooting is beyond me, other than what Jonathan Turley has pointed out here is that Ashley Babbitt falls through the cracks in liberal society because she is somebody that supported somebody that they hated, that they could not stand. And I'm not just making this up, but if you listen to the reporting that was done for the last four years about Donald Trump, and anybody that supported him and anybody in his administration, those people didn't have rights. I should say we didn't have rights according to liberals because you supported somebody they couldn't stand. So that means in their eyes, you are going to be treated differently under the law than other people who are of the liberal persuasion. There probably was a lot of people last year that could have been shot. I couldn't be a police officer for a number of reasons. Not not saying that I'd go around shooting people. Certainly, I, 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 I can't even imagine being at a point in your life where you have to do that. But... 
to have taken the abuse that they have taken, especially last year, and really almost the entire time uh, of the Trump administration, but most especially last year when it got the, the worst, when people were throwing stuff on police officers, throwing bricks and, and uh, other objects at police officers, when they were running up to them without any consequences at all and pouring water on them or in cases, worse things. Or they were assaulting and destroying police vehicles, or like it said in in, in this article, uh, they they took over police stations and set fire to police stations. But this guy decided this this one woman was going to harm him or other officers or every, everyone else in the building that day, and he had to stop her. And liberals have given him a pass, and all but short of patting him on the back and saying, way to go, bud. You saved us all that day. All right. I just wanted to share that with you because I saw parts of that interview. I don't think they, they ran the whole thing, but when I heard him talk, I felt even more convinced that day that what happened there with that officer shooting Ashley Babbitt was a cover up that Lieutenant Michael Byrd either lost his, well, I don't know. I, I can't make a judgment on it because I, I couldn't, you can't see him. But we know the outcome surely can't be justified. And that's what Jonathan Turley is saying here. Because if it was, then it wasn't, then that justification has not been applied equally across the board in other situations in recent times. All right, so um, let me click out of that. Yeah, I I don't know if anything else will come from it, but uh, I got a feeling uh, we do know that Ashley Babbitt's uh, family is uh, is suing the Capitol Police for wrongful death, and uh, hopefully he'll get some some satisfaction out of that and, and hold these people accountable. If nothing else, this officer should be fired. I'm not necessarily saying that he needs to go to jail. I, I don't, I don't know enough. Um, there's not enough there, at least at this time to say that, but surely there's enough there to say this guy shouldn't be on the other end of a gun guarding people. Uh, so if you like this or any of the Trice Talk family podcasts, please be sure to follow us. Um, I'll be back to 
tomorrow night. I see tomorrow night's Tuesday. Yes, tomorrow night is Tuesday. I'll be back tomorrow night with Dennis Lee on Trice Talk Tuesday night. It is not a live show, but um, don't forget, we do have a live show on Thursdays. Uh, we're doing the live show every Thursday now for for a while. We'll we'll let you know if that changes. But uh, that is the one live show of the week, so be sure to catch that one if you can. Uh, we come on at 10 o'clock on Thursday night on, of course, Podbeam. And that's 10 o'clock Eastern time. Um, don't forget, we also we have a contest going on right now. Uh, probably for the next three weeks, we just gave away uh, a prize on last Thursday's show. Uh, which is a copy of the Mark Levin book, uh, his new book, American Marxism. Uh, so that's that's a pretty good prize. And um, if you join us at the beginning of the show, we'll tell you what you got to do to have a chance to win the book. Um, so, all right. I hope you'll look for my next episode of Minipod, which will post on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, which actually is the 1st of September. So we'll start off the new month with the Minipod. Until then, keep your eyes open and your mind sharp. Stay safe, everybody.
the sirens well Somebody going to emergency Somebody's going to jail If you find somebody loving this world You better hang on to them now Hope is always at the